This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for January 2018. Well, of course, this month we have a wonderful southern sky. Center stage is Orion the Hunter. The three stars of its belt point leftwards down to Sirius in Canis Major. And up to the right, you come to Taurus with the two lovely open clusters, the Hyades and the Pleiades. I should point out that Aldebaran, which is a red giant star that appears to be in the Hyades cluster, is in fact about halfway between us and the cluster. Above Sirius and over to the left of Orion is a single bright star, Procyon, in Canis Minor. And above that, we have the twins, Castor and Pollux, the heavenly twins, a rather nice constellation, and it has at least a sort of shape of what it might should look like. Higher above still, there's a bright yellow star, be almost overhead actually, and that's Capella, Alpha Arigai, and it has a lot, sort of a open pentangle of um, stars, amongst which there's some very nice open clusters, seen as little fuzzy blobs with binoculars, but as little star clusters with a small telescope. Finally, rising in the east is Leo the Lion. Again, a constellation that looks a bit like what it ought to, the, the, the lions in Trafalgar Square, for example. So it's a very nice time to observe the heavens. I hope you get some nights which, though clear, are not quite as cold as they have been whilst I've been preparing this talk. Well, what about the planets? Jupiter is now a pre-dawn object rising some three and a half hours before the sun at the beginning of the month. With its 33 arc second disk shining at magnitude minus 1.8 to be seen under clear skies. As the month progresses, its apparent diameter increases to 35.8 arc seconds and it brightens to magnitude minus two. Nicely now, the elevation before dawn will be sufficiently high to enable crisp views of the giant planet to be seen. With the equatorial bands, sometimes the great, but reducing in size, red spot, and up to four of the Galilean moons as they weave their way around it. Saturn. Well, Saturn passed behind the sun on December the 21st. That's called superior conjunction and reappears in the pre-dawn sky this month at the start of its new apparition. It is unlikely to be seen in the first week of January, but climbs higher and so becomes easier to spot as the month progresses, as its brightness increases to plus 0.6 magnitudes. The rings were at their widest a few months ago and are still well open. Well, Mercury reaches greatest elongation west, on New Year's Day, shining at magnitude minus 0.3. It'll be seen low in the southeast before dawn and will be visible for a couple of weeks before sinking back towards the sun. Its angular diameter reduces from 6.7 to 4.9 arc seconds, but as the percentage illuminated of the surface increases from 62 to 95%, its brightness remains constant throughout the month. Mars. At the start of the month, Mars lies in Libra, but moves down into Scorpius at the end of the month. 
a morning object at the start of its new apparition, it rises four hours earlier or so than the sun. During the month, Mars has a magnitude increasing from 1.5 to 1.2 magnitudes, and an angular size of just 4.8, increasing to 5.6 arc seconds. So no details will be seen on its salmon pink surface, unless you have access, perhaps, to the Hubble telescope. Moving eastwards, Mars has a very close conjunction with Jupiter on the 6th of January, as we shall see. Now, Venus passes through superior conjunction again on the far side of the Sun on January the 9th, and so cannot be observed this month. What about some highlights? Well, perhaps we have a, a last month where we might be able to observe Andromeda and perhaps M33, two lovely galaxies nearby. They're setting down towards the west now, but should still be visible after dark. On the night sky page, put in night sky Jodrell, we'll find it in, in Google or something, then it tells you a chart and also instructions of how to find it. Well, on January the 5th, before dawn, a waning moon passes very close to Regulus in Leo. On January the 6th, as I mentioned, before dawn, Mars and Jupiter get pretty close. So if it's clear and looking to the south-southeast, Mars at magnitude 1.4 will be seen just to the right of Jupiter, much brighter, shining at magnitude minus 1.8. At their closest, they will be just 23 arc seconds apart. That would make a very nice image, in fact, showing Mars, Jupiter, and hopefully the moons as well. That's something I should try and do. Before dawn on January the 13th, there's a chance, given a very low southeastern horizon and a clear sky, of spotting Saturn together with Mercury. A thin crescent moon will be seen up to their right. So that's a nice skyscape, isn't it? I suspect you'll need binoculars to pick them out against the glare of the pre-dawn sky. Because when you use binoculars, the magnitude reduces the brightness of the glare, but more or less allows the brightness of the two planets to remain the same. But obviously, do not use binoculars once the sun has risen. On December the 26th, late evening, the moon is quite close and below the Hyades and the Pleiades, again making a nice sort of visual view of the heavens. And on January the 26th, the phase of the moon is such that the two greatest craters on the moon, Tycho and Copernicus, are well visible. And again, on the night sky page, there are some details about them. Perhaps I could just finish with a little advert. I've spent a year writing what I call an astronomy digest, and if you put Astronomy Digest Morrison, with one R, into Google, it should be found. And I've so far put up about uh, 36 articles on it, uh, which cover all aspects of amateur astronomy, both visual observing and also um, imaging. And I hope some of those articles might be of some interest. So just Astronomy Digest will probably find it. But if you put Astronomy Digest Morrison, it certainly will. Well, I hope you have a good month's observing. Happy New Year. Thanks for that, Ian. And now for our Antipodean listeners, here's Claire Bretherton with the night sky where you are. Namihi Ototoho Kiyokoto Katoa. Happy New Year and welcome to the first Southern Skies Jodcast of 2018 from Space Place at Carter Observatory here in Wellington, New Zealand. <laughs> 
We're well into our summer months now. We've moved past the longest day and our days are slowly beginning to get shorter again. On the evening of January the 3rd, the Earth reaches perihelion, the closest point in its orbit around the Sun. In theory, this means that the Sun appears at its largest in the sky and we receive more radiation from it than at any other time of the year. In practice, however, this effect is tiny. The Earth's orbit is very close to being circular, so the distance between the Earth and Sun varies by only 3% over the course of the year. The changing tilt of the Earth's axis has a much more significant effect and is the true cause of the changing weather patterns and seasons we experience here on Earth. This month we will continue our tour of some of the clusters and nebulae along the Milky Way, which stretches across the eastern sky after dark, becoming brightest in the south towards the southern cross, Tepunga. Orion still dominates our eastern skies after dark, Following his belt to the right, you come to Sirius, or Takarua, the brightest star in our nighttime sky, and in the constellation of Canis Major, Orion's large hunting dog. Whilst it appears as a single star to the naked eye, Sirius is in fact a binary system, consisting of a white main-sequence star of around two solar masses and a small, dense white dwarf companion. Just above and to the right of Sirius, at a distance of around 4 degrees, is M41, or NGC 2287. M41 is an open cluster of stars, covering an area around the size of the full moon. It is just about visible as a blurry smudge to the naked eye from a clear, dark location. Through binoculars or a small telescope, you'll start to resolve a number of individual stars, showing hints of red and orange, including a prominent 6.3 magnitude K3 giant close to the cluster's centre. A little further towards the south and set apart from the Milky Way is a bright star Canopus, the second brightest star in our nighttime sky, at magnitude minus 0.74. Tamari, this is known either as Ariki, meaning highborn, or Atutahi, meaning standalone, and is considered to be a tapu, or sacred star, never setting here in New Zealand. Canopus is the brightest star in the constellation of Carina, the keel, which along with Vela, the sails, and Puppis, the poop deck, once formed part of the southern constellation of Argo Navis. Straddling the Milky Way, this represented the great ship used by Jason and the Argonauts in their search for the Golden Fleece. The constellation was split into the three components used today by French astronomer Nicolas Louis de Lassay in 1763. There are many interesting nebulae and star clusters to look at in this part of the sky, but perhaps the most famous is NGC 3372, the Eta Carina Nebula. NGC 3372 is a huge cloud of glowing gas estimated to be around 7,500 light-years away. It is one of the largest nebulae of its type in our skies, four times the size of the Orion Nebula, and the brightest central parts can be picked out with the naked eye as a brilliant patch of the Milky Way a little above and to the right of the Southern Cross in our evening skies. With binoculars, you should be able to see a golden star in the nebula. This is Eta Carina itself, a massive, unstable star that's on the verge of blowing itself apart. In fact, Eta Carina is a system of at least two stars, the largest with a mass of around 90 suns. The combined luminosity of this system is around 5 million times that of our own sun. This massive star is so bright that the radiation pressure it produces is almost too strong for the gravity holding it together causing a constant stream of material out into space. 
Eta Carina has varied hugely in brightness since it was first catalogued by Edmund Halley in 1677. It was only fourth magnitude at the time and appeared as a fairly ordinary star, but by the mid-18th century it had brightened to second magnitude before dimming back to its previous brightness. It began to brighten again in the 1820s, reaching a peak magnitude of minus 0.8 in 1843 and becoming the second brightest star in the nighttime sky for over two decades. Astronomers now believe that this extreme brightening was linked to a huge outburst, with the star blasting off around 10% of its mass in two huge clouds of gas and dust, which now form the peanut-shaped homunculus nebula visible in a small telescope. Eta Carina is now back to around fourth magnitude, but it's brightening again. It is expected to end its life in a huge supernova within the next few thousand years. Also within the nebula are a number of interesting open star clusters. Eta Carina is part of the massive open cluster Trompler 16. At magnitude 5, the cluster is just about visible to the naked eye, but even the smallest binoculars will reveal some of the individual stars within it. Trumpler 16 contains a large number of very young stars, some formed within the last few million years. Along with Eta Carina, it also contains WR25 and Trumpler 16 244, three of the brightest and most massive stars in our galaxy. The other main cluster within the nebula is Trumpler 14, which, whilst not as large and bright as Trumpler 16, still contains around 2,000 stars. Trumpler 14 is one of the youngest star clusters known and is still going through a period of massive star formation. Some estimates put the age of this cluster at only 300 to 500,000 years. Around 4 degrees south of the Eta Carina Nebula and at the lowest point of the Diamond Cross is the Theta Carina Cluster or IC2602, containing around 60 individual stars. The cluster is also known as the Southern Pleiades, but with a magnitude of 1.9, it is much fainter than its northern counterpart. The cluster spans around 50 arc minutes, over one and a half full moon diameters, so it is best viewed with binoculars or a low-powered telescope giving a wide field of view. Also worth looking out for in Carina is NGC 2516, known as the Southern Beehive, located just above the False Cross and NGC 3532, the football cluster or wishing well cluster. Both are visible to the naked eye, but a good pair of binoculars will reveal a stunning view. NGC 3532 in particular is a great target, a favourite of English astronomer John Herschel, and the very first object to be observed by the Hubble Space Telescope in May 1990. You'll find it roughly halfway between Crux and the False Cross, close to Eta Carina. We have no bright planets in our evening skies this month. Mars rises just before 2.30am at the beginning of the month, with bright golden Jupiter joining it a few minutes later. Jupiter will rise gradually earlier each day, tracking with the background stars, whilst Mars moves more slowly. The two will be only 12 arc minutes apart on the 7th of the month, as Jupiter overtakes Mars in the morning sky. On the night of the 11th, they will be joined by a beautiful waning crescent moon. By month's end, Jupiter will be rising before 1am and Mars will sit below and to the right, rising around half an hour later. Mercury sits low in the morning twilight throughout most of January and is soon joined by Saturn, with the two sitting right next to each other on the morning of the 13th. Saturn continues to rise higher, whilst Mercury, on its inner orbit, sinks back into the twilight.
Wishing you clear skies and a very happy 2018 from the team here at Space Place at Carter Observatory.